Proverbs chapter 9. We have gone through this uh, in terms of, I, I preached on it as a devotional related to the Lord's Supper, and today we want to look at it as a part of our regular exposition of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 9. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says. Come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple... Let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this clear word. But Lord, in order for us to Receive it fully. To not only be convicted, but to be converted by this word. We need your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you please enlighten not just the eyes to see the words on the page, but the eyes of our hearts so that we can truly understand, receive, delight in, and follow, obey this beautiful invitation to life. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray, and together God's people said, amen. You may be seated. As we look at this passage of Scripture, we see that again, this is an appeal. This is an invitation. In fact, it's two invitations. It's an invitation either to life or an invitation to death. 
It's an invitation from Lady Wisdom to follow that way and to end up being blessed. Or it's, it's an invitation from Lady Folly to follow her. And her house ultimately leads to death. And this invitation is what we want to look at today. I was thinking about this, and sometimes if you take this passage by itself, you wouldn't really feel the weight of it. But if you'll notice, when you come to chapter 10, verse 1, something changes. You end up in verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, and then a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. And then verse 2, something different. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. If you turn the page and you just look, it's, it's proverb after proverb. Sometimes maybe two verses are a proverb, but it's, it's constantly changing topics. It's as though the introduction has finished. The preamble is over, and now you are in the Proverbs proper. But it's taken us six months to get to the Proverbs. And the reason it's taken us six months to even get to the Proverbs is because there is no passages of scriptures that are more shoplifted for worldly purposes than Proverbs. People will, even secular people, they'll just grab a proverb and they'll just kind of take it and run in whatever direction they want to run. But what this First, these first nine chapters have been saying is, you've got to make sure that wisdom is built on the right foundation, that it is headed to the right goal, that you understand that, that if you take a proverb and you're just using it for your own selfish ends, that you're wanting to use wisdom to come out on top of the pile at the end of life, you have missed the true meaning and the true foundation upon which wisdom is built. The other thing is, is we also live in a day and age where people really don't care about wisdom. I mean, if you could just succeed, it doesn't matter whether you're wise. If you, just, if you can just figure a way to get through the maze of life and you get out on the other side, who cares how you got there? But what Proverbs is ultimately telling us is that if you are not building your life upon the correct foundation... You may have all of the same boards and you may have all of the same bricks. You may have the same trusses and you may have the same roof on your house. But when the storm comes, your house will fall. That the foundation is not something that we can just neglect. That we must absolutely be sure upon what and upon whom we are building our life. And too often today, we just are all pragmatism. I just, that's my goal. I just want to get to the goal. I don't care how I get there. And wisdom is saying, no, it not just matters where you're going. It matters how you get there. And it matters the foundation upon which your house is built. You know, this pitched battle between Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly I mean, they are literally calling everybody. They are indiscriminate inviters. They're just sitting there and they're just inviting anybody. Come on. Anybody can come. Come to wisdom. Come to folly. But it's, it's literally everybody is being invited. You notice there's not something in between. Half folly, half wisdom. Right? There, there, there's no sort of 
of mixture of these two. Literally in life, there are only two ways you can go. There are only two paths. You don't get a mixture of both. There is no third way. There is either the path of wisdom or the path of foolishness. And this pitched battle between wisdom and foolishness is calling to every person on planet earth. Follow me. Follow me. You know, as I was thinking about these verses this week, there was a hymn that just kept rolling in my mind and I couldn't, couldn't quite connect it, but I finally did. It's the Christmas song that we sing, Oh Holy Night. And it was this line that just kept going around and around in my mind, and it was this. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared, and this is the part, and the soul felt its worth. And the soul felt its worth. We are told by this world, believe in yourself, you're the center of everything. But, But let me just tell you, the world is telling you to build all of that on a false foundation. But by the intensity and the universality of the call between wisdom and folly, I think each of us should feel this. And that is that your soul is worth way more than you have ever imagined. If it were not worth it, then there would not be this pitched battle for it. There is nothing that brings God more glory than a soul that is shaped and formed as He intended it to be. And there is, something, there is nothing more hideous and awful and evil than a soul that has been deformed by sin and has gone down the opposite path from which God intended. Your soul, who you are at the core of your being, is immensely valuable. Feel that weight. That's why the, the invitations are so intense between Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. I've divided, as I looked at the passage, these verses into four sections so that we can, we can kind of uh, uh, come to the passage for a better understanding. I want you to look with me to see the sections. Maybe you'll understand why I picked them. You could divide it differently. But this will help us to be able to, to look at Proverbs 9 in its entirety today. Proverbs 9, verses 1 through 5, that introduction is the call of Lady Wisdom. Then verses 7 through 12 are the foundation and the result of wisdom. The foundation and the result of wisdom, 7 through 12. And then verses 17, uh, 13 through 17 is the call of Lady Folly. And then finally, verse 18 is very harshly, very clearly, the death of the fool. The death of the fool. So we have the call of Lady Wisdom 1 to 6, the foundation and result of wisdom, verses 7 to 12. The call of Lady Folly, verses 13 to 17. And then finally, the result of following folly, which is the death of the fool.
So as we come now, let's begin in the first section together. The call of Lady Wisdom. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. And this is her invitation. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. So this is the call of Lady Wisdom. We notice that before we move into that call there in verse 1, it's, it's describing uh, wisdom and in terms of, of architecture, in terms of the building of a house. Wisdom has built her house. And as we see that it has seven pillars. Uh, uh, even a large house in this time, in, in time of Proverbs, uh, almost a thousand years before Christ, would have only had three pillars. So to have a seven-pillared house is, among other things, saying this is an enormous mansion. This is not some little house that you're going to be able to go in and see all the, the corners and all the rooms in a matter of minutes. This is something that you will be exploring for a long, long time. It is a massive mansion that wisdom has built. Notice that wisdom is all about construction, whereas folly is all about destruction. Wisdom is about building up. Folly is ultimately tells you it's going to gratify you, but it leads to tearing down. So wisdom is very industrious. Notice this. Notice all the verbs of wisdom. She's built her house. She's hewn her seven pillars. Verse 2. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has set her table. She has sent out her young women. Notice all those. She's built. She's hewn. She's slaughtered. She's mixed. She's set. She's sent. Lady wisdom is like the woman in Proverbs 31, a hard-working, industrious woman. She knows that there is great effort that is required for this mansion of wisdom and for the, for the feast of wisdom and for the, those that have been invited and respond to the invitation to come and find enjoyment and satisfaction. Contrast her. So, so here she is. She's doing all of this. She's, she's building, she's hewing, she's slaughtering, mixing, setting, sending. Contrast that with Lady Folly. Verse 14. She sits at the door of her house. She sits at the door of her house. She takes her seat on the highest places of town and she calls out. Literally, all she is is making a siren call to people. She just sits there. She's not prepared anything for you. She's not concerned about you. You think about the scripture. Jesus makes this point over and over again. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and have it to the full. That you might have abundant life. Why is it that when we come to Christianity, we think the whole point is, is now I'm a Christian, I'm kept away from life. I'm kept away from truly living. I'm kept away from true joy. I'm kept away from having my needs and desires and wants met. 
rather than believing that to come to wisdom is to come to the greatest, most amazing feast that has been laboriously prepared so that you would be delighted and satisfied by it. But all folly has got going for it. She just sits up there. She finds the highest perch. It says there in the first verse, she's loud. She's seductive. She knows nothing. So just imagine her on the highest spot in the town. She's just sitting there. And it's just sort of like a spider trying to get you into her web. She's not really doing anything for you. It's all a trap and a trick. But she knows how to spin a good web. She knows how to make a good call. Notice that, that she, she's not doing anything else. She's not prepared anyone. She doesn't, she doesn't even send anybody out. She just sits there and she makes this call. It, we'll look at it more in, in depth. But just notice this is the uh, entirety of her promise. Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. The only thing she has going for her is that somehow in our fallen hearts, we think the forbidden is best. What is it about us? We are like my horse or your cow or your goat that is inside a pasture that is lush and green. And all they can do is stick their head under the fence just trying to get a nibble of that pasture next door because they think it's always greener pastures where I cannot be. Why is it that we do not believe that Jesus is offering and inviting us at his table to a banquet that will satisfy every desire, every need that we have, even those that we don't even know how to ask. And Lady Wisdom is showing her care, her concern, by how she is preparing this amazing banquet. Notice that the food that she's preparing... Verse 2, she slaughtered her beast and mixed her wines. I mean, all you're going to end up getting from folly is bread and water. And the only thing, it's just like you have gravel outside that fence and you're sticking your head out and think, I'm going to eat the gravel. And you've got the lush pasture right there. She has prepared a green pasture. She has prepared a, a table, a spread for these people, slaughtered her beast. I mean, you imagine that the table is filled with all of the, the animals, all of the beasts, everything that you can imagine. She has mixed her wines, the finest wine. She's added all kinds of, of things to just bring out the best aroma and flavor in her wine. She has blended it perfectly. She's set her table, prepared her table, and she wants people to come. So she sends out her young women to call and she has evangelists or preachers or you. Right? Come. Come to this feast. Doesn't this sound just like the parable that Jesus tells about the wedding? Isn't, don't you think that when he came up with that parable, he'd had his quiet time in Proverbs 9? I mean, I know he 
ultimately wrote the book, but it says he increased in wisdom and learning. So he had spent his time thinking about it. He says, oh, here's another way to tell the story. There's this great wedding feast, and they invite people, and they don't want to come. I'm busy. I just got married. I've got a farm. Can't leave it. So he says, go out into the highways and byways. Find the sick, the blind, the lame, and compel them to come in. Compel them to come. Do you view Christianity in that way? That you have not been invited to a life of of mere duty and certain drudgery, but you have been invited to the most delightful, delicious banquet and we have only had the appetizer. That's all we've had. So they're calling out and notice... What she says in verse 4, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat my bread and drink the wine I have mixed. The book of Proverbs is an appeal to the uncommitted, primarily. That's the primary audience. It's, it's written, as I said, if you want a manual for the spiritual and moral instruction of the young... You know, you want, you want let's see, we want a, a workbook. We want a textbook that we can take all of our young people through. It was Proverbs. That's what it was written for. It was for the moral and the spiritual uh, uh, training of young people. And one of the things about being young is that word simple, which means that you are Open to everything. That's really the basis of the Hebrew word for simple. You're open. You're open to everything and you're committed to nothing. You know, you're just kind of walking through life like the the young man that we read about as he was walking through the neighborhood at the wrong time, wrong place at wrong time. He's just like, well, I don't know what might happen. And then the, the seductive wife is calling him. Right? He just he's just open, whatever. And so Proverbs is calling to those who's, who, they're open. They're just like, well, you know, I don't know what way I'm going to end up. I don't know what path I'm going to take. And so, so Proverbs realizes that really everybody starts there. But she is wanting this simple young man, this simple young woman to turn in to her banquet. You notice, to him who lacks sense, she says. She doesn't, we're not born with incredible wisdom. We're not born with a knowledge of God. We may have a sense of God in us. We may have the law of God written on our hearts, though it is so laid over by sin that it's hard to get at accurately. But notice this, rather than the Bible just being about pushing the simple and the one who lacks sense away and say, well, you shouldn't be that way. The Bible is ultimately about taking the simple and the sense-lacking people and saying, come. So, so again, th- this is, you think how this completely goes against the ways of man. The ways of man is, is you've got to be smart enough, you've got to be crafty enough, You've got to have enough inside of you that you can make your own way. 
But wisdom is not calling the godly. Wisdom is not calling the perfectly formed. Wisdom is calling the simple. Wisdom is calling the one who doesn't have a lot of sense. In the same way, that's, that's how the gospel works, isn't it? It doesn't come, Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous. I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the unrighteous. I came for the sick. So let me just say this. If you believe you've got it figured out, you have a wall between you and God that will be absolutely impassable until your pride and your self-reliance falls. The soil into which the seed of the gospel must fall is the heart, the hard soil that has been tilled. Namely, God opposes the proud, the hard soil, but He gives grace to the humble, the tilled soil. Notice what she says. Come. Come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. And walk in the way of insight. Um, she's not saying, can you pay? Are you worthy? Examine yourself to make sure you really deserve a seat. Oh, by the way, go get a bath before you come. Clean up. Maybe, maybe have a six-month period where you can prove you can actually not be simple. And you've got some sense. Then come. Do, do you see how this is a one-to-one -one parallel with the gospel call? That it is, it is not calling the qualified. It's calling the profoundly unqualified. It's not calling the deserving. It's, it's calling the ones who deserve the exact opposite. It's not saying fix yourself and then come. And it invites everybody to the same meal. Come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I've mixed. I mean, have you thought about this? That we really only have, I mean, you've got the pulpit, but we've got one piece of furniture. I don't know that the offering plate should be on it. That's another thought. But anyway, um, theologically, I've got to think through that. But we have one thing. That's a table. You thought about it? I mean, everything about Christianity is you're invited to a banquet. And you don't even, it's not a bring your dish banquet. She doesn't say on the invitation, potluck. She says, come, I have prepared. When we come to the table of the Lord, we come and it's all been laid out for us. All we are required to do is, whoever would eat of my body and drink of my blood, that one shall live. Do you believe that Jesus is the manna that was sent from heaven? Do you believe that this is the banquet for which you were created? 
a banquet where you will not eat alone, but you will eat around a table with brothers and sisters, a banquet that you will not just eat once, but you will eat over and over again throughout this life, preparing you for the ultimate banquet of joy and peace and the most satisfying of things that God has ever imagined and has ever provided that will be laid on that table and we will enjoy it with our family, brothers and sisters, all being served by the Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever. And here it is. Come. Eat of my bread, drink of my wine. Can you imagine just how clear this is? In the Old Testament. You know, again, there's always two appeals throughout this book. Do you remember in Proverbs 1.11? What the wicked young people were saying to the impressionable young man? Come with us. Let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. I mean, bad company corrupts good morals, right? I mean, how often do you see a young person who grows up in church and then that decision that they make, that young woman who says, you know what, I'm going to become friends with so-and-so and next thing you see that they're following down that path with so-and-so and you're like, how did they get there? Over and over again, you see that. So, so the world and is calling. It's calling, come, join us. I mean, it's the appeal of gangs. It's the appeal. They're looking for family, even if it's a family that is, is, has as its ultimate end violence. Think about the woman, the, the adulterous wife in Proverbs 7:18. She says to the young man on the street, Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us dis- delight ourselves with love. She good and well puts the word morning in there because she fully intends to kick him out of her house and out of her bed in the morning. It's not about love. It's not about commitment. It's not about her being bonded to this person through the good times and the bad. It is a momentary gratification. There has never been an indication or a place in the Bible where the word love has been more misused than by, from the lips of that woman. Not love. Just... Lust. The Bible even says that there is pleasure in sin. But it's only for a season. It's only for a moment. So there's those invitations. We've all heard them. You've probably stepped aside and followed a few of those invitations to come and join in on the evil. But there is another invitation and it rings throughout the Bible. It rings from one end to the other. And we hear it calling us not to come to evil, but to come to God. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. God is not calling the sinless. He is calling the sinners. He is not telling you to wash your own sins away, to do your own penance, to fix yourself. He says, come to you with your sins. He is in the business of cleansing. He is in the business of washing away sins. He will work that sin out. He will wash that sin away. Well, can you afford to come? Well, Isaiah 55.1 says, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy 
and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. It is wine and milk. It is water. It is a banquet that is priceless. But it is free to you. It is so valuable that you could not put a monetary number upon what it is worth. But yet you are invited to freely come to it. Well, what about if you've walked away from it? Well, the Bible says in Hosea 6.1, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, that He may heal us. He has struck us down, and He will bind us up. It is not an accident that Jesus calls out to the people who many of them were already rejecting Him, and He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're afraid to come to Christ because we're afraid that we will find a stern disciplinarian. The discipline of God is not for when we come to God. The discipline from God is when we refuse to come and we're His, He will keep calling. But when you come, you will find a gentle, merciful, lowly in heart Savior who will not ask you and say, all right, now you've come to me freely and I'm going to put a burden on you you cannot possibly bear. You are put into the, the yoke with Christ. You are teamed up with Christ. And there he is. He's doing all the heavy lifting. I don't know if you've ever lifted a sofa with about six other men. I've done that on occasions. And it's kind of interesting. You've got six guys trying to lift a sofa. And you can just come and all you have to do is just put your hand there you see, I'm taking the easy road out, right? You just put your hand there and you just kind of balance it because the burden is light. They need you. They need you to do your tiny little part. They need you to balance it. In the same way, when you come to Christ, he is not going to bait and switch. He's not going to all of a sudden say it was all of mercy and grace to come in, but now it's going to be so burdensome. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Do you remember the Samaritan woman who in every way felt disqualified to come to Christ? And yet he came to her and found her at the well of Sychar. She was slow to understand what he was speaking about, but Jesus, he kept fishing for her soul. Finally, he caught her. And she ran back to her village and she invited all of her family and friends and said, Come. See a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? I, I want you to understand, I don't know what it is, but somehow we communicate to ourselves and to the world the wrong message. Just turn to the last page of the Bible with me. Turn to the last page of the Bible. Verse 17 of chapter 22 of Revelation. Look what the final word. You read Revelation, it's, it's literally, it says, blessed is the one who reads Revelation aloud. But Revelation is a truly terrifying book. Terrifying as it describes what may come and what may be. But notice what it says in Revelation twenty-two seventeen, 17, the last page, almost to the last words of the Bible. 
the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and the bride, that's us, the church, say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. The message of Christianity is not stop, stay away, you're not worthy. The message of Christianity is to all and to any from every tribe, from every place on this planet that we are calling out. As long as we are here, we are sent out by Lady Wisdom. We are sent out by the Christ of Wisdom and we are calling to everybody. It doesn't matter who they are, what religion they are currently believing in, no matter what sin they are trapped in, we call out to them and we say, come. That is our job. We are left here not to hunker down and hide out. We are left here to invite men and women who are perishing without the Lord to come. We're not here to show how pure and perfect we are. We are here to call out to men and women who are trapped in sins that we have only recently come out of ourselves. And we say to them, come Come to Christ if you are thirsty. Come to Him and take the water of life without price. Notice the very second to last verse of the Bible. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And what does the church say? Amen. Come Lord Jesus. You see, this invitation to Christ to come to Him is throughout the Scripture. It's even our last appeal, the Spirit speaking through us, the, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the Bride saying, come. And someone who comes, then they start to tell other people, why don't you come? It's, it's going to satisfy you, but you can't afford it, but you don't have to pay for it because it's already been paid. At the end of the day, what do we realize? The only thing that will actually ultimately satisfy us is to see the one who spread that banquet. I'm not going to be satisfied till I see the one who spread that banquet. I will not be satisfied till I see Jesus' face. You cannot be satisfied till you see him. As the old Puritan said, and I agree, and I say my hearty amen. Heaven would be hell to me if Christ is not there. He is the glory of that land. He is the one that we are awaiting. We, 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 we call upon Him. I remember growing up, I, my mother, she's a, she's a stern theologian sometimes, and I remember telling her about all these different eschatologies, and I'm like, Mom, I don't know, I don't like eschatology, and you know, and rapture and all that stuff, it just kind of scares me, don't like it. My mom said to me, but you, you must love the day of his appearing, 2 Timothy chapter 4. You've got to love the day of his appearing. And I'm like, mom, I don't love the day of his appearing. It sounds really scary. And then my mom, ever the theologian, she looked at me and she said, David, you will never love the day of his appearing Till you love the one that will appear. Is that the point of all this? Is that the point of it? 
Is Christ the one in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? Is Christ the wisdom of God? He is, this is one last appeal. You know, I, I, I believe that probably most people in this room right now, you, you've, you've come to Christ but perhaps there is somebody in this room that you are literally in that simple, lacking sense state and you hear Lady Folly and she's saying, come follow me all the days of your life. Come follow me. And then on the other side, you hear, you hear this voice of wisdom, the person of Christ and his evangelist calling you, come unto me, all you who labor. And, and, and I want to say to you, this may well be your final call. It doesn't happen all the time, but I pray regularly, Lord, let me preach as though this were my last time to ever preach. Let me call men and women to you because, Lord, it may be the final opportunity that I ever have to be a herald for Jesus Christ. I do not want you to think, you know what? What Pastor David was saying to us month after month and year after year is, you know what? You just need to figure out some godly truth and live by it. That's the whole thing. Here, you figure it out. You do it. If you've not heard the gospel of grace to the simple and to the ignorant, if you've not heard the gospel of grace to sinners, if you've not heard the gospel of grace to those who can't afford to come to the gospel of grace, then you've never heard it. I am saying to you again, come to Jesus Christ. If this is the last time, hear me saying it to you. Come to Jesus. Notice why. Back in Proverbs 9. Notice it says, Come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Just say this to you. Do you notice this? The come to eat of his bread and, and of the wine. Obviously, in New Testament understanding, that's Christ. But notice the other word, leave. We want a repentance-less gospel. You know, I've heard people say, you know what? You can't add repentance to faith because then you're making it a work. You know what? You'll see it in our confession of faith. That repentance and faith are twin evangelical graces. We don't believe that the faith is from you. Nor do we believe that the repentance is from you. But we believe it's got to be through you. And you've got to be the one who repents. And you've got to be the one who believes. And they are the, the two sides of the same coin. The repentance is leave your simple ways. You cannot continue down the path you're going and say, I'm going to walk with Christ also. You've got to leave your simple ways. That's repentance. And you've got to come to Christ. That is faith. Notice that the result of this is you'll live. You'll walk in the way of insight. One of the great theologians of the Reformation said all true wisdom consists in two parts. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of man. You won't even know why you exist if you don't know God. If you don't understand who He is, then your life is literally a life without a rudder. You have no direction. You are just set adrift on the sea of purposelessness. 
But when you come to God, you are going to have insight into why you're here. What is, why has God made you? What is your purpose upon this planet? Notice now in the second section, the foundation of wisdom. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets abuse. He reproves a wicked man, incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he'll hate you. This is one of the things you'll notice this. The mark, the scoffer's the worst. But the mark of it is that there is a stubborn, know-it-all attitude. If you are a stubborn, know-it-all, heaven help you. Heaven help you. If you try to tell somebody, you're not going down the right path. They're just going to heap abuse on you. You try to reprove them, they're going to hit you. In other words, Jesus said very clearly, do not cast your pearls before swine. There are people that you just recognize that you're wasting your time. You can continue to pray for them, but if you invest in them and they just ultimately say, I don't want anything that you're saying. That unteachability, that proud, stubborn spirit has shut them out from the kingdom of God. You know, I think we can see that in terms of people that we try to reach. But I guess probably the best application is don't be that man. Don't be that woman. What does it say? Reprove a wise man, he'll love you. Give instruction to a wise man, he'll be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, he will increase in learning. What is the fundamental characteristic of a person who is going to become wise? It is the fact that they are humble and they are teachable. If you have arrived, if you're set, you've gone as far as you're going to go, you're not going to learn anything else, you don't need to grow anymore, then you are dead in the water. If nobody can reprove you, you get your back up, you just cannot be corrected in any way, you have stepped off the path of wisdom and have started down the path of folly. But here we come to the heart of everything. Look in verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This is the key to the entire book of Proverbs. So let me just say this. If when we go into chapter 10, and we just start pulling out these verses about our speech, or we pull out verses about parenting, or about anger control, about not being greedy, about being kind and helping the needy. And we do that, and we do not do it on the foundation of the fear of the Lord. We are building our house on sinking sand. So, I would just say this. We've said that wisdom is the, the skill of godly living. But I would add to it that wisdom is the skill of godly living that flows from the root of the fear of God in the depths of the heart of man. That, that at the heart of who you are, 
at the core of who you are, at the foundation of your life, there's got to be a sense of profound reverence for God. There has to be a sense that God is immense and big. That, that, that God is one who literally, He is so weighty, so significant, that every other opinion and every other fear and every other person pales in comparison to the fact that you want to live a life that is obedient to the revealed Word of God. You know, I think a lot of this is in that word beginning. You know, there are two ways to think about beginning. You could think, and I think this is the way that probably most of us read Proverbs, that you start out in chapter 1, chapter 9, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's like a race. And you start, and then you just grab a proverb, grab a proverb, grab a proverb, and you're trying to live your most successful life now. But you left the fear of the Lord back at the starting gate. But the better picture is that rather than be a starting gate from which you depart, that the beginning of wisdom is a foundation upon which you build. That beginning, yes, it's the first thing. You put the foundation first, but everything else will only have strength will only withstand the storms of life that are sure to come if it is on the foundation of the fear of God. If you do not fear Him, if you have no fear of God before your eyes, what does Paul say in Romans 3? Is the marker of the ungodly. There is no fear of God before their eyes. If you do not believe that life is for keeps, that this life is not a game that you just pick and choose like off of a buffet line, but that you realize that your life is headed somewhere. It is either headed to eternal life or to eternal death. If you do not realize that God is not only serious in His promises of blessing, but He is serious in His threatenings. If you do not fear God, your house is built on sinking sand. You've got to grow in the knowledge of this God. You know, the one place you could pretty much safely go in much of America and not learn anything about God is in the church. You go to church and you learn everything about yourself. How to have a better schedule. How to make sure you have margins throughout the week. How to have a, 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 be a, a better husband who can, can, can better uh, tell your wife and express to your life love. How you can be a better parent. How you can be financially responsible. On and on and on and on. Let me tell you, those things are in Proverbs. We're getting there. But if they are not built upon the knowledge of God and they're not built upon the fear of God, then the entire purpose for which the house was intended is null and void. And at the end, you may have gained the whole world, but you will lose your own soul. It must be built upon knowing God and having that sense of reverential awe before Him. What's the result? Verse 11, for by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you're wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. What's he saying? He's saying, look, the offer of this is life. Life. I came that you might have life. 
by believing in his name, you might live. I don't know, you know, I feel like this. I feel like people who try to sell us flavored sugar water that will rot our teeth and our bones seem more appealing than than a, a man standing up and saying, what God is offering to the sinful is pardon. What God is offering to those who are dead in their trespasses and sin is life. What God is offering to those who are headed toward the grave is not a dead end, but is an open door to a world that is beyond your imagining, where everything is made new, where you live forever and ever with perfect family, with perfect fellowship, with perfect purpose. And it falls on ten ears. Can, can you see What's wrong is wrong with us. Why is that not the most wonderful offer that's ever been extended? It says, if you're wise, you're wise for yourself. You get the blessing. If you're a fool, you get the punishment. Finally, verses 13 to 17, the woman folly is loud. She's seductive. Knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever's simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Do you notice she doesn't even hide the fact? She, she's actually saying, she doesn't just say water is sweet. It's stolen water is sweet. The bread you had to like to, to, to get and then maybe by ill-gotten gain and you go over in the corner and you eat it secretly. Oh, that's the best. She, she literally is saying to you, you must break God's holy law in order to be really happy. Did God really say? God is trying to keep you out of life. God knows that if you eat of that fruit, you will be like him. Don't listen to God. I am appealing to you today. Recognize that what she says is a false promise. She is presenting the bait and hiding the hook. She just says, and you know what? It's true. There is a momentary thrill in breaking the law. You think about somebody, these famous movie stars that have got millions and millions of dollars and they go into a store and they shoplift. What's going on? It's this right here. Somehow, i got to be alive. Only way I can be alive is do something illegal, something wrong. That's where the thrill is. You notice what, this is the final difference. You notice what the difference is between wisdom and folly? The only thing she talks about is the very moment. When you drink it, it's going to be sweet. When you eat it, it's going to be pleasant. That's the word Naomi, pleasant. It's going to be pleasant. You're going to like it. She doesn't say, it's poisoned water. It's poisoned bread. You see, this is what happens. This is, we live our life and the only thing we look is at the immediate moment. How does it make me feel right this second? 
And wisdom says, you've got to look to the end of the matter. You've got to see that there are consequences. Every action has a consequence. Don't think about where the road that you're on is leading. Just, it's all about right now. This is all you've got is right now, right here. Satan has both wanted to destroy heaven and hell. Nobody believes in hell. Nobody believes in heaven. You just lived. All you've got is now. And wisdom is saying there is more, there is so much more, and it is so much better. But you've got to just stop looking about how you feel right at this moment, at right at this place. You've got to be about gratifying and satisfying and obeying God. And as you do, you will find that you have been brought to the most sumptuous feast. But she doesn't tell you that. Just now, now, now. But notice, the writer to Proverbs tells you where her false promises end. Verse 18, but he, the one who goes in, turns in to woman folly, does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. You know, one of the things about reading history a lot, and I read a lot of history, it's going to sound silly at first. The thing about everybody that I read about in history, they're all dead. You're going to die. You think, it feels, the now feels long. It's not. Will you just listen? You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to be the the smartest person, most intellectual person. All you have to do is hear the voice of the Word of God saying, Come to me. Come to me. Drink of water, the water of life without price. Come to me. I pray. I pray that when this little short Life, this vapor, this mist is over. I will see every one of you. Oh, it's going to be a good day. I know you're going to be surprised and say, how did you get here? And I'm going to say, same way you did. By grace. By grace. Oh, it's going to be a beautiful feast. And on the authority of God's word, as God's messenger, I call to you. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and live. Would you pray with me? Father, we can hardly imagine why this battle is so intense. We know it manifests how great and glorious you are, but why would you be mindful of people like us? Why would you be mindful? We feel something of the worth of the soul that you have made. So I pray that truly from the heart that every man and woman, every boy and girl in this room right now would leave their simple ways, would come to Jesus and would dine at his table throughout this earthly sojourn and would then 
enter into the joy of their master as they feast forever at his beautiful, wonderful banqueting table. Lord, help us not to be fooled by that lazy, loud woman that is calling, promising quick, temporary, cheap satisfaction, but withholding the reality that to eat from her table, all of her guests are in the depths of the earth there to remain. Lord, have mercy. Help us to follow you now and forever. Amen.